All right. I guess I know what we're doing next weekend. What was next weekend? Yeah, that's why we're talking about it now. Oh, yeah. That's like the whole point of this, right? <laughs> nope. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. So you lie to yourself to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. We all do it. We all go a little mad sometimes. Come on. If one of you nuts has got any guts. What's the smile on that face? You're only as healthy as you feel. Listen to me. Listen to you about what right? Because I have a right to be. Uh, I have a voice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Pop Culture Case Study. Yeah, let's do it. I'm pop- Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Pop Culture Case Study, where we analyze pop culture from a psychological angle, a part of the Following Films Network. So this week, once again, Mike is not here because uh, Mike's a diva and only uh, watches movies he pleases and not uh, not movies that I assign him because that's just that's the kind of guy he is. So, of course, stepping in for what is it like the third time in a row now? We have Ben Zook. So thank you for stepping in. I, I echo the disappointment in, in Michael Dennison. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure he's used to that. He's married now. It's just, I'm sure it's a constant, that disappointment. So it's just adding adding fuel to that fire. Um, so you joined us for the Nixon episode, and we were talking about how much we missed when Oliver Stone was doing well and back in his wheelhouse. So in your opinion, is Oliver Stone back? Uh, yes and no. Uh, that's, I think that's the most accurate way to put it. <laughs> uh, I think the subject matter, you know, is more in his wheelhouse. And I think he, you know, he does a good, he brings something to this movie that another director probably wouldn't. Um, at the same time, I, I think it falls short of being a, a great movie. And it probably falls short of even being a very good movie. Uh, and, you know, that being said, I found it to be emotionally satisfying for the most part. So what did you think about it? Um, I think I am the slightest bit more negative than you. I was I was pretty disappointed here. I think I think it has a lot of the ingredients of a very good movie and none of it comes together. There's a lot of I feel like there was a lot of mistakes made like in the very basic and kind of the script level, like things they chose to cover and pacing that really dragged this movie down. And it's really a shame because I think especially the supporting cast is excellent here. Like, just fantastic. Like, uh, I'm sure I'm going to butcher his name, uh, but uh, Reese Ifans? Is that is that? Yeah, that, he, yeah I, I don't know how to say it either, but I'm going to... I I was very certain that we would both end up really liking his performance. I think he's. I think he definitely gives the best performance in the movie. Yeah, I, I actually don't even think it's close. And, and he plays kind of his <laughs> mentor, his teacher. Uh, and all those scenes with him kind of learning the ropes uh, at the beginning are really good. And I, when it first started, I was like, oh, God, we're going to get bogged down in essentially like a training montage for our, for our <laughs> kind of super hacker. But that stuff really, really worked. And I felt like those were the times that uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was also the most comfortable. You could tell he works He works so much better when he has someone to play off of. Like, when he's got Reese fans or he's got Shailene Woodley, especially when their kind of romance is just taking off, like, they're both really charming and have a lot of uh, have a lot of chemistry together. So those moments really worked. But this movie, like, it's quote-unquote only two hours and 18 minutes, but I, I felt every minute of that runtime. And that's something that Oliver Stone is usually pretty good at. He makes longer films that don't feel that way. If you look at JFK, if you look at Nixon, these aren't movies that feel like, oh, God, I just spent three hours in the theater. You feel like, oh, I just experienced a lot, 
but it kind of flew by, whereas this did not have that. So, I, I mean, I think we're going to agree and disagree on this, and it's going to be kind of funny because I think we're, I, I, I can see exactly what you're saying, but here's the thing. I really wasn't bored, and, and I've heard that from a few different people. Uh, yes, it's, it's, it's long, and I felt the runtime. Like, I felt uh, at the end of it like I had been told a, you know, large, epic story, but despite the fact that we have a lot of weird stuff going on story-wise, and I think a lot of that weird stuff happens just because it's true to the actual story of Edward Snowden. And I feel like they are probably in a catch 22 situation where if they, uh, you know, like for example, Snowden leaves the CIA and he comes back. That's not something that really works in a movie because in a movie you like to have a protagonist who is going after one thing. And so when you have a guy who's like sort of wishy-washy and like, oh, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I do want to do this. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's tough narratively to really want to follow that. But at the same time, if their whole purpose was to inform and to get this story out there that hasn't really gotten out there yet, and, and we haven't seen a lot of the details of, uh, you know, of Snowden's career from this time period from 2004 to 2013 we've seen a lot about what happened afterwards right because that's what the the laura poitras documentary covers um and yeah i do question i I question some of the stuff they included uh i question whether it's necessary to even have the laura poitras and the glenn greenwald stuff uh that that's happening in hong kong you know, in 2013, uh, I question if that's even like necessary or, or certainly necessary at the lengths that they include it. Um, like we even get like a long scene where him and Melissa Leo like chat, you know, while the camera's off and everything. Um, I question whether all that stuff needed to be there. Yeah, at I the mean, same it was... time, I never felt bored. I have to, so I disagree with that. Yeah. I mean, I think the, I think the only reason it was there is one because people know that this documentary was made. I mean, it, it won an Oscar, right? Like, was am I right in remembering that the Citizen Four? Yeah, yeah, won the yeah. Oscar. So people know of it, and they use it as kind of this framing device so you can, you know, do all these flashbacks. But I, I had a similar reaction of like, why are we stay? Like, why can't we just tell the story? Why are we staying and keeping going back to this hotel room? And also, like, I, I don't dislike Zachary Quinto, but he's kind of awful in this movie. Like everything was over the top. Everything was all saliva and spit all over the camera. Like it just, it was too much for me. And you could tell he was only there for that. There's one scene near the end where he gets to give kind of a passionate speech. And that's like the only reason this character even exists in this film. And that was, that was kind of rough to watch. Cause I think he is a talented young actor, but, there was not much for him to do here. So when he finally got something to do, it felt like he just bit into it maybe a little too much. I, I completely agree with you on Zachary Quinto. I think I'm even harsher <laughs> about him. Oh my God. Than you are. I really, ha- I really hated him. I thought he was terrible in this movie. I thought it, I thought it was, yeah, the worst performance I've seen from him. Definitely. Uh, and, and it really hurts, you know, that he's the first, one of the first characters we see in the movie. Right. And that he's in the lobby with Melissa Leo and he's like looking around like, like he's Lee Harvey Oswald or something. <laughs> like, like, it's like, you know, if you're going to meet, uh, Edward Snowden, this guy who, you know, who is, you know, who's like, 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 like exiled from, from the United States here, you're, you probably shouldn't look so suspicious right. and twitchy. Uh, and if you're out, if you're overacting Melissa Leo, 
in a scene. Oof, you know, yeah. you, you, you got you to course correct. Uh, <laughs> That's a really good point, actually. Yeah. Uh, the other thing we really have to talk, we got to talk about the voice. And I have, uh, I have a hunch that uh, it bothered me more than it did you. Um, uh, yeah, I feel yeah, like, definitely. I feel like it was a huge, huge, huge mistake to have him do the voice and the cadence. Like, I don't think it adds anything. I don't think it's necessary for the character. Whereas you hated the voice choice he made in, uh, uh, in the walk that to me was actually necessary because like his background and where he's from is important. Whereas this is just like, well, people have heard his voice. So I guess we better do the voice. And for me, it was just really distracting. And especially there are a couple scenes uh, of him in the army as, as he's a young man and he's being yelled at, of course, by his drill sergeant and he's yelling back and you could totally tell like, Oh, there's Joseph Gordon-Levitt. There's his voice. This, this, this act he's putting on of this Edward Snowden cadence and depth of his his voice is purely just an act and it distracted me honestly for the entire runtime and and i give him props for for just going all out with it like i like as an actor i think that's kind of impressive to just go for it but to me it just it didn't work and it just became distracting and it was hard to get these emotional connections that you needed especially between him and the character of lindsey mills uh Shiling woodley so okay i'm gonna agree with you somewhat but here's the thing I, it distracted me and it was off-putting for like the first five minutes or so. But then I got used to it and I was fine with it. And I bought that he was this character and that, 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 and that, that was the way he spoke. And the movie has a special circumstance, which I'm sure we'll get into in your spoiler section, where I think it was necessary. Hmm. Uh, and we'll get into that later. But so to go into this a little bit deeper, I think for certain actors, it can be helpful to latch on. To something technical like sure. an accent or a way you know a way of walking or or whatever or you know the the face or, or the weight um and they can latch onto that and it can make them feel better because they're not absorbing as much of themselves into the performance it's almost like they're putting on a mask or a costume sure. kind of thing and i don't think that that's the right direction for joseph gordon levitt to go in as an actor I, and I so I, yeah. and so, and, and I think two performances, you know, into it, we can see, okay, you shouldn't do the Meryl Streep thing. I like, <laughs> I like seeing him in, in, in roles where he is bringing a lot of himself into it. And I think you could make a very good Stone movie where Joseph Gordon-Levitt doesn't have the accent. Yeah, that, uh, I think, I think that's one of his greatest strengths. And you see it in like whether you like the movie or not, you see it in things like 500 Days of Summer, where he's just very naturalistic and very charming. Uh, and you lose all of that. And I get that Snowden I, is I not a charm. I despise 500 Days of I'm, Summer. I had a feeling. Uh, I, will, I will never criticize Joseph Gordon-Levitt for 500 Days of Summer okay, because I hate that movie. <laughs> But like, I think that's the, that's what draws us into him as an actor where, um, okay, let's talk about a movie you like, like in the night before, although he's kind of yes, a screw there up, you go. he's very naturalistic and very fun to be around. And it makes you want to, want to care about this character. So for me, him putting on that voice and that accent really kind of threw that off for me and created this, this distance. I think the thing I was most disappointed in though, is I feel like this movie only paid lip service to the really complicated situation that surrounds what Snowden did. Like, I'm not going to give out kind of my political leanings about what I think about it, but it's definitely like, it's not an easy choice. And I think, I think everyone 
like no matter what side of the aisle you're on can understand it's a difficult choice and i feel like there's a couple lines in the in the movie that give lip service to that but it just felt very uh very shallow and just kind of like well this is this is this is who we care about this is our protagonist whereas when we talk about his older movies like nixon it's it's a very deep movie and there's a lot going on and i just i was disappointed in oliver stone's direction and in the writing of this film that it didn't really delve deeply into this topic see i wouldn't i wouldn't say that it's shallow but i will i will give you you know uh some credit i think there are portions of it that are unengaging that are distant, that are actively disengaging because they're sort of very concerned about a lot of, a lot of stuff. Like there, we have a lot of characters coming in and out. Some of them are way more uh, interesting than, than others. Um, and I look at this movie and I think to myself, I really wish that Oliver Stone could use some of that dramatic license that he was criticized for. Totally agree. Both JFK and Nixon. And, but there lies the problem in that. And this is the ultimate irony is that they have like four historical advisors on this movie. They talked to Snowden multiple times. They got his side of the story right. Um, he, the, the, uh, okay, I won't give away, give that away yet, just now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so the ultimate irony is that they still had like an article from a fact checker who, who basically is just taking the, um, the, the position of Snowden's enemies, which in right. this case would happen to be the U.S. government. Uh, and, and they still got lambasted for it. Right. And so it's like kind of bizarre. Uh, you know, you, 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 like, so I don't know, I don't know how they could have won in this yeah. regard. I mean, I think, I think there's no way to win with a story like this for a couple reasons. One, because of what you talked about is that it's, it's so complicated and there's people on kind of both sides arguing about what the truth is and what the right decision is. And then also, especially because of the documentary that came out and all the, the news reports and everything else, we know so much about this. And so there's not a lot of dramatic license you can take with what actually happened because. But, but to be fair, to be fair, um, Citizen Four only covers the aftermath that That's we true. didn't see any of the buildup, and I thought that I found that really interesting, actually. And a lot of that uh, is, is true to Snowden's point of view, to, to to Snowden's perspective of what happened. And and so, you know, I do find that interesting. I do think there is a lot for people to to, to get out of this movie. And, and so, I do think I think it's, I, I I think that despite its flaws, I think it's a movie that people really should see because of the important subject matter, because it is covering things in a different way than we, than I, than I think we have seen in the news or because it, it, uh, where a lot of people get divided on in regards to the story, the story of Edward Snowden is that they think that he just, you know, up and decided to leak, leak a bunch of shit. Right. And that there wasn't any sort of, you know, like, like there isn't, they, it's hard for them to understand the reasoning of why a person in America can't just go to a supervisor and tell them that something, you know, horribly unconstitutional is going wrong right. and be protected. But that's exactly what that's exactly the situation. So. Yeah, absolutely. I do feel like also there's, you know, at the script level, there's a lot of moments where that just seemed too, for lack of a better word, too scripted. Like the fact that him and his girlfriend actually have an argument where she uses the words like, well, if I haven't done anything wrong, I have nothing to hide. I was like, oh, God, get the sledgehammer out. Like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah, that's I know that's the argument. That's the argument everybody has made since the beginning of this Snowden thing. And so much of it was where, you know, we talked about again with Nixon, how a lot of that was very presentational and very stagey. And it really fit 
kind of the size and the scope of the story because the scope is basically all of Nixon's life. I really didn't feel like the script matched the scope of this story, which was actually a small story like it's about mm-hmm. this one mm-hmm. person i can see that you know what i mean so it's like so many of these lines i was just like guys like you're you're ruining a good moment between two actually pretty high quality young actors like you know i've i've definitely warmed to shailene woodley a lot i think i got wrapped up in her kind of uh, public persona which i was really annoyed by annoyed by but now that i've seen her in more things and in this i think she's wonderful in this too and i just wish she had a better script to work with i really like her and i think she's good in this i think i i think think it is less of a significant role than maybe it could have been yeah uh but in comparison to something like like laura linney we were talking about in, in <laughs> sully like it's kind of incredible that yes. she gets as much time but you know what's interesting is that i'm thinking back on it they have that fight scene that you're talking about and then think of, think about what the resolution of that was it was very quick it was like a montage way and, too and i'm quick. thinking yeah, yeah i'm thinking like well if we wanted to tell this intimate story of this relationship and make that really central to the, to, to the thing, they kind of shortchanged it a bit. Right. Um, and that being said, I really, I am glad she got, uh, you know, the scenes that, that she did. Yeah. I remember when that resolution happens being like actively annoyed in the theater, like really, because like so much about this, and I don't think this gives anything away, but so much about this story, like the reasons why he did it are not just these overarching like reasons of morality, but it's about, you know, his life and the people that he cares about. Um, So that relationship is really important to the story and why he does what he does, because those are the real emotional touchstones of the script. And for that to just be sped through, I think is a huge, huge mistake. And I can see, I can understand why they would do it. Like the movie's called Snowden. We got to get to the, the spy stuff. We got to get to his escape and going through Hong Kong and all this. But I do feel like they really shortchanged that relationship a lot. And that's, that's a real shame. But let me talk about uh, the unsung hero in this movie, and that's got to be Nicolas Cage. I was shocked because Nicolas Cage, uh, I think, is so great now in in small dosages. And I think this role was just right for him. Like he got – there was a little bit of kind of Nicolas Cage-isms in there. There was a little bit of that kind of you know speedy talk and a little bit over the top. But it really worked in this movie, and I loved his minimal relationship with Snowden. I think, I think we always look for the same – Things in good Nicolas Cage performances that we actually look find in, in, in bad Nicolas Cage performances. Uh, and I don't know if we see that really here. Uh, I thought it was good. I thought it was very brief. My, my criticism would be like a story level thing in that I think Reese Ethan's and um, Nicolas Cage's character, they could have been combined and you oh, could have yeah. seen a little bit more depth, you know, to that relationship, which we do see. We see a good portion of that with Reese Ethan's. But with uh, Nicolas Cage, it's, he really only has that one big scene, right. and he's kind of an afterthought for the rest of the movie. I, I enjoy, I really enjoy the last time we see him, yeah. but I think I was the only one laughing in the theater. Um, yeah, I mean, they are so. both kind of mentor archetypes, you mm-hmm. know, and there's no, there's no real reason for them to be separated. I think, you, I think you're right. I think you could easily combine those characters and kind of tighten the movie up just a tiny bit and have all the same stuff in there. I think that would have worked fine. And, you know, speaking of which, then we have Timothy Oliphant and, and the other guy. And I, the okay. one guy who like, I love Timothy Oliphant. It could have been the same person. But, but I did not like him here. And I always like him. Like, I will watch... I mean, I own The Girl Next Door because he's in it. Like, I, I love him as an actor. And it just felt like, oh, you're just playing your shtick 
right I now. Know. It has nothing to do with the movie other than like it, it puts it puts Snowden in a morally gray place and I get that, but he's there for the basically, you know, most of the runtime of this movie. And that whole kind of subplot, like his story, Oliphant's story, isn't really necessary there. They should have combined Ben Schnetzer, the um the younger uh, guy at the CIA. Oh who, yeah, who, like, who, like first is the guy who keeps calling him Snow White. They yes. should have combined them somehow, and that was, and you know what I mean. And then we could have had a more interesting dynamic played out. What, what's weird? What happens a lot in this movie is that you'll see a character once or twice, and their arc is basically done. And they're usually doing very big things, like things that you don't do at the CIA uh, <laughs> or the NSA, even for your friends. And, right. and it's hard to really feel the dramatic weight of it because we've only seen them for like one or two scenes prior to this. Yeah, I think we'll talk about that in spoilers because that drove me crazy. Sure. There's one particular character. Yeah, um, I know. <laughs> but uh, like and I felt like, OK, two things. One, if anybody except Oliver Stone directed this, I'd probably be a little bit higher on it. I think I expect a little bit more out of him. Um, but I think visually, like there was only like one or two scenes to me that were truly memorable. Uh, one is the scene where he describes kind of his work and his job about who he has to track and when, uh, which is a very stylized, interesting looking scene. And then there's a scene um, with with Snowden and Corbin O'Brien played by Reese Ifans over like basically what would amount to like a, a video chat. Uh, and what he does with size and scope in that scene, I think, is really smart and and really impressive work. But other than that, I felt like, again, kind of it felt bland to me and felt a little bit boring to me. I don't think it felt bland. I certainly don't think they tried to call attention to the visuals. And, and you know, I was fine with that. I really the second scene you highlighted, the the wall conference yeah. uh, video screen scene that I thought that was great. That was my favorite scene in the movie. I, I do wish the rest of the movie could have, could have been as good as that. But in all honesty, it's like, to me, it's like, okay, this movie can't be all that bad because it has that one really great scene. Like that's a really memorable scene that'll, that I think will stick out in Stone's filmography. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I totally agree. It was like, I told you like much more than you, I was kind of struggling through this movie. So I was kind of leaning back in my chair, kind of like, okay, let's move on. And that scene happened. And I like physically sat up. It was like, oh, wow, yeah. like this is this is impressive work. This is what I was looking for. This is what I wanted two plus hours of. Is this Oliver Stone? And I felt like, uh -huh. where, where have you been? Where have you been for the last hour and a half? Like, this is what I was waiting for. Um, so that's a well, little unfortunate, but it does show that, like, I think at some level, like, it's not like Stone has, like, left all of his talent in the dust. It's just like, I don't know if he's not getting the good scripts or I know this movie was very difficult to make. And I wonder if that showed in kind of the pacing of the film and the way it worked. But there are a couple moments in this film that are wow moments. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, we were talking about Sully last week and, and it's interesting how both movies deal somewhat with about, you know, humans and technology and, and human relationships changing because of technology. And I think that scene kind of highlights that. Um, and I agree. I agree. It would have been great to get more of that. But I do think I do think their primary objective here was to inform and all that. And it's a shame that it couldn't have been more entertaining. Right. But I understand what they were up against in terms of like, like you know, storytelling obstacles oh, and yeah, also wanting sure. to be also wanting to stick to the, you know, the textbook truth of, you know, what happened. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so at this point, I want to move uh, to spoilers because I feel like we've been dancing around talking about things for a <laughs> okay. while now. Uh, so, spoilers. 
What? Read ahead, spoil all the surprises. Not peeking at the end. Isn't traveling with you one big spoiler? That's classified. It's what? It's classified. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. One of the things you mentioned is you felt like the voice was necessary because of something that happened later in the movie. Yes. So what was that? Well, I, and it's interesting because it's, this is something that he did in Nixon as well, is, is that he presented a fictional version of Nixon. And then at the end, he presented you the real Nixon in archival footage. What sure. he does here is takes, takes you a step further and he presents a fictional version of Edward Snowden, and then he presents you with the real Edward Snowden. Not yeah. only the real Edward Snowden, but the real Edward Snowden saying things he's never said in public before. Right. And it's an interesting, it's a really interesting idea. And I found that it did pay off in, in a certain way. It, it brings you back to the idea of, oh, this is a real person. <laughs> right. Like we've spent two hours just watching the, this fictional guy and kind of, kind of hoping he'll get caught just in that sort of movie way that you do because right. uh, yeah. you know in suspenseful you're kind of oh he's gonna get caught here uh, or this is gonna happen and uh you know and then you realize oh wow you know <laughs> right. real guys here yeah so um i'm glad you brought that up because i think uh i i, w- I would want to commend oliver stone for his guts in doing that because literally they have a shot of Joseph Gordon-Levitt behind a computer and then mm-hmm. the camera pans and shows the back of the computer and pans back and we have the real Edward Snowden and it's like kind of like real gutsy and I think it was a mistake I think it I think it points out immediately the differences in their vocal qualities and their and their physicality like throughout the whole movie I was actively trying to get over this voice as I mentioned and then actually that moment made it worse for me because the last thing I remembered was was actually how different those voices were. Like I felt like uh, JGL's his register went way too deep, and the pauses were way too long. And I just and it po- and I would never have known that if they don't actually show and have us listen to the real Edward Snowden in that last scene. But it is really gutsy to do. I guess I, guess I was never aware that you're you know basically pro- Professor Henry Higgins over here with with all your you know dialect elocution uh, everything. Yes. <laughs> I guess it isn't something that I really look for in a movie, but I will say, so let's say they had done what we had said earlier and have Joseph Gordon-Levitt just speak normally the way he does. Then when you got to that moment, I think it probably wouldn't work because then my first immediate thought would be, oh, he speaks completely differently than... I think you would have to do. So I don't know. It didn't didn't bug me. I think if you did that, you would have to have uh, basically like again bringing up the movie you did last week. What they did with Sully, where you have like a little bit of credits and then a break, and then you have a post credit sequence with the real person. So you have that that actual separation in time. Like okay, Uh movies, and that's what he does. That's what he does in Nixon. Right. uh, Actually, that it happens, and I could see that he does that in any given Sunday as well. Right. Where there's a whole like the story continues through the credits. And I actually really like when he does that. It feels like a way of compressing more story into a smaller runtime. So, yeah. yeah. The other thing we talked about and almost kind of gave away is there's a scene near the end of the movie where he's kind of, you know, he's getting all the information and it's, it's like the standard tension building moment in any kind of hacking style movie. And of course the, the mini, uh, the mini card pops out of the computer onto the floor when people are walking in and we have this character we've met, I think twice in the movie, like Mm -hmm. literally Mm -hmm. save his life. (laughs) I know. And, but, but, so, so if I don't, I don't want to interrupt. No, go um, ahead, please. But, um, 
Yeah, it, it's a shame that that character hadn't been developed more, and right. then his decision would mean something, you know, to us. Well, they both the speak sign time. language, Ben. I mean, it's a connection. So <laughs> at ASL. the same time, <laughs> at the same time, it's an incredibly bold thing for them to now reveal that uh, Edward Snowden may have had other people who helped him retrieve this information. That's exactly what's being revealed there. I don't know whether it's true or not. I right. mean, I, you know what I mean? But it, it really, very well could be. Um, and that's a really gutsy thing for them to do. <laughs> it is. And so I'm, I'm very torn. I wish, I think, I think if we had had some more scenes with that guy, like literally the only thing we get is we get uh, Edward Snowden say something about the drone strikes and we get the guy kind of give him a, a hesitant look and that's it. That's like the only real personal right. connection we see between them. And it, it yeah. Yeah, that that is a moment that could have been better. Yes, absolutely. Because I was like, really? Like, this guy's got, I mean, I guess, like, there's there's nothing so terrible about this character where you're like, oh, he would never help him. But there's also nothing built in that you you understand actually why he's <laughs> putting his own life at risk, too. You know, it's a little it's a little ridiculous, but, you know, it's fine. Uh, the thing I liked about this movie most is I do think it it does a great job of building uh, that paranoia in the in the audience's head. Like I did have moments in this movie. Like, man, I should just delete everything from my phone. Like, I should just get rid of every bit of information I have. Like, this is terrifying. Like, we've it's one thing to hear about all this, you know, all the kind of wiretapping that was going on, everything that that the governments could see, and everything that they were doing. But I think it was a really smart decision to. Uh, there's, there's a scene in the movie between, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt and his girlfriend where they're having sex and he basically imagines that someone could be looking through the webcam and that like really brought it home. Like, oh wow. Like not just when you're online, not just when you're quote unquote doing something you shouldn't, but just being a normal human being in, in a relationship, like you are at risk and that, and it does build that in the audience. Kind of like, man, I don't even know, I don't know what I should do, but I should do something. Yeah, I, I have an index card on my uh, camera on my iMac right now as we're talking, so <laughs> it, it definitely had an effect on me. And I'm already pretty paranoid. Uh, I didn't, I didn't go full Gene Hackman the conversation, you know, yet, but uh, that's probably coming. And, and I think, like I said, I think that's great. If that was their purpose, you right. know, in making this movie, then they succeeded, and I hope people will check it out based on that alone. Yeah, absolutely. The last thing I want to mention, it's not really a spoiler. It's in the near the beginning of the movie, but we talked uh we talked briefly about kind of the romantic relationship in this film. And I think that first scene where they're kind of talking about their politics and everything like the no blood for oil stuff is going on and he's very conservative and she's very liberal. Like this is like it, I felt like I was going back in time with Oliver Stone. Like this is this is vintage Stone stuff. Like this feels like this feels like conversations he was having when uh, when he was making Platoon, when he was making Born on the Fourth of July, but set you know many many years in the future. So I like in the beginning of this film, I was really into this into this moment because it I felt like oh Oliver Stone is back until he kind of disappointed me with much of the rest of the film. But I did really like those interactions. Yeah, no, I like that as well. I mean, it is it's very interesting interesting to see a movie that that is you know portraying uh that time period which is like only 10 years ago for me yeah. and it's like i was even thinking like at the washington dc scenes i was thinking oh yeah i lived in washington dc right. like right at the same time <laughs> <laughs> like it's really kind of crazy when you, when you really think about it. one thing i was really disappointed in that we haven't brought up hmm. um is, is the score and, and it looks like this is one of those weird cases 
where Craig Armstrong was doing the score and then they brought in another guy and they kind of did a mishmash between the two. And I don't think it worked. I, I really liked the electronic uh, tracks that were more similar to like the social network uh, score right. that was, you know, from that movie. And I think that's what they were going for. And I thought those worked. I thought the classical thematic ones were really cheesy. And I don't know which composer was responsible for which, but it, it, it didn't mesh well for me. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, any last words about the movie before we go, other than you think everyone should see it? I do think everyone should see it. That, I, that literally is the last, like, like a movie can be, okay, this is not the best movie of the year. This is not going to be one of the top 10 movies of the year. This is not even going to be one of the top 20 movies of the year. It's still worth watching. So. Right. So it's basically, you're saying it's an important lecture to go see at your local theater, but not so much a great movie. No, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying, okay, yes, it is medicine to some degree, but there are entertaining parts and there are parts of it that are more likely to be more informative and more there. He's bringing to life this side of Edward Snowden's story in a way that I don't think we're going to see again, you know, likely anytime soon. And for that reason, people should see it. Yeah, I can agree with that. All right. Um, uh, you want to give people your uh, your Twitter handle one more time, even though it feels like you're on here nine times a week at this point. <laughs> uh, no one follows me. It's, it's, it's at ZookB, Z-U-K-B. And on there, there's links to my Vimeo and my letterbox. And you can see all sorts of crap that, I, that I've put out there into the world. So. All right. Awesome. All right. We're going to take a break and then come back with Fangirl Fixation to find out what's coming out next week. All right, so it's time for actually an episode of Fangirl Fixation this week, if uh, our recording stays true, unlike last week. He's lying. Uh, he censored me on purpose. Yeah, I don't I don't know what you're saying, but it wasn't good. So it's like, no. I don't no even more. remember what we talked about anymore. And then like the week before, was that when I was in Kentucky? Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, you. we've deprived people for too long of Fangirl Fixation. So welcome back, Brett. You were just afraid of the riot. That's what it really comes the, down yeah, to. Yeah, I mean, the Twitter riot that would It ensue, was going to happen. There'd be like five people who were like, how dare you? Whoa. <laughs> okay, maybe only five people because I can only think of three currently. Yes. Yeah, I was being generous. <laughs> uh, so anything you want to talk about before we get to the two movies that are coming out this week? Uh... Looking forward to seeing Bridget Jones maybe today or later this week? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I still haven't seen the second one. You have to tell me what happens. Well, we could so. fix that. Oh, I guess we wouldn't have time yeah, to fix that. Not Never quite mind. No time. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> you can watch them out of order. It won't matter. I'll just go on the Wikipedia page. Like, what happened to that fucking movie? No. Okay. No. You had to watch it. Okay. All right. I'll watch it out of order. God. All right. Anything else before we get started? Mm, I want chicken wings. Yeah, we will. We will fix that. We'll remedy that quickly. You'll make if uh, the guys from True Romance are listening. You'll make them very happy. It's like Spicy their favorite wings. food. Spicy wings. Yeah? Yeah. That's, that's a good little <laughs> song? All right, cool. All right, so uh, as I mentioned, there are only two movies this week, so this will be a little bit shorter of a version of Fangirl Fixation. Oh, that's why you're trying to get me to talk, to fill in space. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, so the first movie is an animated movie called Storks. Uh, so uh, you're you're fighting the urge not to say the line, aren't you? Yes. Just go ahead. Powder. Baby Powder. All right, glad we got that out of the way. <sighs> the okay. only like mildly, 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 mildly. I wish I could do that tongue thing. No, no, that's not okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, usually I ask you uh, at the start like what 
what you think of the trailer, and I'm just going to go first because this is hot <laughs> fucking garbage. I God, I saying I have no interest in seeing this movie is underselling it. Like I want every copy burned. Like every time I see this trailer, wow. it makes me angry because it's like it's another example of like you can't gauge whether a kids movie is a good movie based on like box office receipts. Right. Because one, parents will take their kids to see anything that's a kid's movie just to shut them up for an hour and a half. And two, kids are dumb and they'll watch <laughs> anything. Like, they're like, oh, bright lights, shiny things. This is great. Uh, I don't know. That's it's kind funny. of like you and some of your friends, though. No, that's so not true. <laughs> so it just, it looks bad. Like, I'm sure it'll do well because it's a kid's movie. Kid's movies, it's... It's it's hard for them to fail. I mean, look at the Ice Age movies, right? Like, they just yeah. keep making them. Because, well, you know, the, here, the start 90 minutes of the, a piece. Yeah, the start of Ice Age movies was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, the first movie is actually pretty funny. And it's got the funny opening with, with Scrat. Like, that stuff works. But, you know, as you make five, six... How many of those movies? Are there five? I have no idea anymore. I lost count. Yeah. I mean, it's it's insane. So, you know, you can just... You can make money on... the. It's like... It's a great racket if you want to get into making money producing movies. Stick with the kids' movies because they don't even have to be good. You just get famous voice actors and you uh, you just put some crap out there and people will watch it. So what do you think now that I've <laughs> shit on this movie for three minutes? I want a pigeon cut. A what? A pigeon cut. I want I want a movie that is just everything with that pigeon. Just that pigeon? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Is there anything else in the trailer that you find entertaining? Oh, that whole scene with the glass was kind of funny to me, but that's because I like to watch people get hurt. Yeah, like people running into things. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, actually, like when you break it down, like the the kind of basic, basic, basic plot is kind of interesting. This idea that like storks used to deliver babies and now they're like the Amazon. Yeah, it might just be one of those things that they suffer from not cutting the trailer correctly. That's been a big problem in last year where people like give you a trailer and you're like, and you go and watch a movie and you're like, "Mm, the trailer did not prepare me for this. Yeah, but none of the jokes in the trailer really land. Besides the baby powder one okay. for you. <laughs> I like all this stuff. I'm like, oh, I'm an orphan. That that hurts my heart. Like, I'm like, oh, shut up. God, get over yourself. Stop it. Like, none of that stuff works for me. Like, I was just... Usually, like, with kids' movies, I'm like, okay, I get it. I right. get where you're going. But I was... I mean, you've seen me. Like, we're in the movie theater, and I'm just... It's like me watching Sausage Party. Like, just dead. Dead behind the eyes. I think like, Sausage Party level. was worse for you because it wasn't just dead behind the eyes there was a lot of judgment happening there too yeah i was just staring at you like <laughs> you did this you made me i was not this. prepared for it to be like that <laughs> i thought it was just gonna be fun masochistic little vegetables and it turned into something horribly horribly racist yeah it's not not good times uh anything else about storks anything else you want to bring up the one thing that really bugs me about the trailer is like they already kind of set up for the fact that you're gonna find out like who her family is in the end yeah I mean, it's it's another one of those tropes with kids' movies where they're not really looking to surprise you. Yeah. They're just like, you know what's going to happen already, so we're just going to put it out front. Yeah. Kids might be surprised because, like I said, kids are dumb. And uh, any uh, any listeners with kids, sorry, I'm just in a bad mood, apparently. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's, there is, like, if this was a, if this was not a kids' movie and something like that was in the trailer, I'd be like, what are you doing? Yeah. Why would you ruin it like that? But... You know, it's a it's a kids movie about an orphan trying to find her parents. She gonna find her parents, right? Like that's <laughs> anything else. Um, 
No, I'm, I'm just thinking about hot sauce and chicken wings. All right, fair enough. I got nothing else. Uh, so the next thing we're going to cover, the last thing we're going to cover, and the movie we're going to cover eventually on the show, is uh, the remake of The Magnificent Seven. This one directed by Antoine Fuqua, who directed Training Day and The Equalizer, both with Denzel Washington. And both now, of which I haven't seen. Yeah, that is kind of a shame, actually. We should fix that. Do I have to watch the foosball one? The foosball one? Isn't Training Day about football? No, no, oh. Training Day is about cops. Oh, well, in that instance, I want to watch it. So it's with Ethan Hawke and uh, Denzel Washington. I think that's why I avoided it, because Training Day sounds like it's going like to be a, sports ball. It does, sports it does sound like that. Uh, but he's directed Denzel in these two movies before, and now has kind of cast him in the lead uh, in The Magnificent Seven, which is kind of cool to see. Because he's got the chops. Ugh, Jesus, that's a terrible joke. Uh, yes, he's got chops. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I do find it kind of cool that a movie, uh, they're remaking a movie that was, you know, pretty much all white people in the original and has a more diverse cast. There's like an Asian lead, a, a black lead. You know, it's nice that they're, it would be easy to like remake this and be like, well, we can't have, well, I guess uh, the original didn't have a, a white lead now that I think about it. Because I don't know. I never watched the original. Yul so Brenner is the lead in the in the original. I don't know his like ethnic background, actually. Um but he kind of played everything, you know, like he was, you know, he was in The King and I, he was in Ten Commandments. Like, oh, yeah. You know? I don't know what his yeah. ethnic background is either. But it is nice to see like a big kind of Hollywood spectacle that's not just a bunch of white dudes. Right. Well, we good. do got a big titty redhead, so. And? I don't, I don't see an issue. Why, why are you shitting on that? That's the best <laughs> thing ever. Uh, so, what do you think of the trailer? Are you excited for the movie? It looks fun. I'll watch it. I never, like I said, I never saw the original. I saw the the Seven Samurai because you know my dad and martial arts movies. Um, so, like, and I think luckily it's been long enough since I've seen that that I'm not going to be sitting there being upset when things are. Well, yeah, I mean, it's totally like twisted. I mean the the kind of western is such a. I mean, you can definitely see the ties, but it's such a reimagining, right? That, like, for me at least, I couldn't, I couldn't like be upset and be like, "Well, this isn't like the Seventh Sam." Like, of course not, right? It's not set in the same place. It's not in the same language. Like, but I'm just saying, like, like I don't remember that one too much, and I never saw the original, so there's nothing really for me to get upset with. And like at this point, I'll watch Chris Pratt and anything. Yeah, it's actually been one of those things where I've been kind of. Uh, kind of a little annoyed that he hasn't been in more stuff lately because like his star was really rising right like you had uh you had gardens of the galaxy which just kind of catapulted him into superstardom and then you had jurassic world and then that's been kind of it but didn't he just have a baby not too long ago he might have been like you know a yeah. decent person being a dad with no kids. that's no i mean i'm not bringing into account the the personal stuff and that's totally possible but it's like from a a movie perspective, like it's when someone stars rising like that, like the audience kind of wants more of him, and it's, it's weird. To, I'm glad that that's not happening though, because we get so oversaturated with people that we're like, ugh. Well, there's a balance. I've seen though, right? you in this so many times already. There's there's a balance though. Like you can get oversaturated, but you can also get to that point. Like, oh yeah, that guy's a thing. I forgot he was an actor because like you know he's he does he's yeah. he's not done nothing but kind of big movies lately. So, like, when he's there, you definitely notice him, but then he kind of disappears from the landscape. Some of that might while. be contract based, though, too. Yeah. Because you know he's already signed up for more Marvel movies. Yeah, true. He's also going to be in a movie in December, uh, a science fiction movie called Passengers with him and Jennifer Lawrence. So, that'll be, I'm sure, another huge. Okay, well, that I'm totally down with, and I don't even know what the movie's about. <laughs> I, think, I think that's exactly why that casting happened. Like, all you had to say was, like, science fiction, Chris Pratt, J Law. Oh, okay. I'm in. And I think most people have the same. But it's weird. It's like it's coming out in 
two or three months and there hasn't been a single trailer and you're like guys mm. <laughs> do you want to like not at all like it? no teasers None. or anything not that i've seen i mean it's possible it's out there but I weird. it's very strange um, maybe that means they're gonna push it yeah i'm sure in the next month or so they're gonna be everywhere yeah. um but but we'll see um so anything else about magnificent seven what do you think about like westerns in general are you a fan of the genre or is this something that's like kind of out of like your purview as far as no i think i am i think that's like i i think that's another thing that like i kind of associate with my dad oh really your dad's big into westerns too well my dad's always been into action movies in general sure so you know westerns are nothing about like shooting people and you know running around doing stuff i don't know (laughs) i have like it's interesting because i i definitely tie westerns to my dad too like that's i think the only westerns i ever watched i watched with him like that's like i I grew up on shows like, like, of course, reruns, but shows like Gunsmoke that my dad would watch, like, right. you know, on Coffee TV 20. I think like I used week. to also, like, watch stuff like John Wayne movies with my grandpa, you know? I feel like so my my viewing of John too. Wayne movies is really, like, I, there's a lot of gaps there for yeah. me. Like, I know... No, same for me. I know what they all are, you know? But he's one of those actors that, like, everybody knows, but I'm like, I feel like, I, feel like I should have seen his movies. Saying we're going to have a John Wayne marathon day? I don't know. That might be a little much. I think we'll, well, we could be drinking. <laughs> we'll have to be drinking whiskey. That's what they're always drinking That's what I'm in saying. Western, so I'm down for that. All right. Uh, so I guess in review, we could say not super interested in storks, but you sound like you wouldn't like if someone said, let's go see it. You wouldn't be like, oh, fuck that. Like, I no, would. I'd be like, yeah, OK. Right. But Magnificent Seven and probably looks afterwards like be like, time. well, that was an hour and a half of my life. Yeah, so you gotta you gotta choose better. And coming from me as someone who sees everything, that's, <laughs> that's no. But I definitely want to. I definitely want to see Magnificent Seven. So if you go and watch that without me, I'll cut you. All right. I guess I know what we're doing next weekend. Oh, it's next weekend. Yeah, that's why we're talking about it now. Oh yeah, that's like the whole point of this. Remember? Right. <laughs> nope. All right. Uh, anything else before we before we go and get obviously not. Like I can't handle talking today. <laughs> okay. Uh, so next time you hear me, I will be doing an episode on the Equalizer to go with the Magnificent Seven. And until next time, I will be here diagnosing your favorites and judging you for what you watch. And he presents a fictional ver- virgin, version, version, ver- fuck, I just said virgin, um, a fictional version. If you hang outside.